Today's sermon comes from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him in out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, all right. Give it up for the uh, Ecclesons and BBs. Great job, you guys. And go ahead and grab a seat. As you do, let me say good morning and welcome. So good to see you guys. My name is Gavin, and it's my joy to serve our church family as one of its pastors. And a happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers out there. Uh, We love and celebrate you on this Mother's Day. And uh, apparently you all brought mom and grandma with you today. It's a full nine o'clock gathering, which is super fun. So thank you for honoring mom if mom drug you here. And uh, if you brought your mom, thank you. Just a joy to worship Jesus with all of you guys. Uh, I would invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're kicking off a brand new series today, y'all, in the New Testament book of Acts. Acts is one of my absolute favorite books in the Bible as it really details the beginning of the movement that you and I are a part of to this very day, uh, the movement called the local church. Uh, As you turn into Acts, let me start off this way. I moved to Omaha when I was still single and in college, and I moved up with my buddy Todd Baker, who's in the very back back there. And uh, we came up kind of on a whim, decided we would move to Omaha, came up on a Friday on our motorcycles, and uh, we got all of our credits transferred. We had been at UNL. We were going to go to UNO, transferred our credits. Uh, We needed to find a place to stay. And so we got this, what is now an antiquated publication called a newspaper, This was before Craigslist and smartphones, okay, millennials. And so we had a newspaper, and you had to go to the thing called classifieds. It's it's this thing in the middle, and you would circle like apartments or houses that you had interest in. And then we went around and and looked at potential places to live. And uh, we had a list of, I don't know, a dozen or so potential. And given our budget as two college students, uh, many of the first ones were ruled out after the uh, intense aroma of cat urine filled our nose as we walked in. Uh, A few, there were some really suspect stains on the carpet, like pretty sure someone got murdered right there. Let's, Let's move to the next one, you know. And I'll never forget, there was a fourplex advertised in Midtown. And so we drove to this uh, fourplex. And as we rolled up, I thought, now this is, this is a beautiful building. It was all brick and it had a steep roof. And 
we went inside and we looked at the unit that was for rent. And as we went down the hallway, I noticed there was stained glass windows. And it dawned on me, oh, this used to be, this used to be a church building. So cool. We finished looking at the building, went back outside, and I remember just sitting on my motorcycle looking at the building, and it dawned on me that at one point in history, there was a vibrant movement of God's people here. Um, like those bricks don't buy themselves, that stained glass window doesn't create itself. There were real people who heard from God, who had a vision for this community, who came in and donated real dollars, invested real time and attention into this neighborhood. They likely prayed, gave sacrificially, erected a structure. There was a grand opening at some point in history for this church building where they had prayed and they welcomed in the neighborhood. And, uh, and as they welcomed them in, they preached the Bible from the pulpit and the pipe organ, uh, you know, resounded songs of worship to Jesus and the pews filled up with people, but at some point between that church's uh, inception and when we moved to Omaha, where there was once a movement, now only a monument remains. And as we're going to look in the book of Acts, what we're going to see this morning is that the picture of the local church is vastly different than that of an abandoned brick building. We're going to see that the church of Jesus Christ is a vibrant, spirit-filled, mission-focused, multiplying movement of people, not buildings, who are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth through hell and high water. We're going to take a look at our family history as a church this morning and seeing God's word that the church was never intended to be a monument of where God once was, but a movement of God where God is working in the world. And, and we're going to see that the church is a movement of God's spirit through God's people, accomplishing God's mission all for God's glory. Amen? And so my prayer for us as we look into today's text, and as well as this book as a whole, is that one, for those of you new to the faith in Jesus or new to the local church, that, that you would capture a bigger vision. I don't know about you, but growing up, to me, when you said church, I thought of the little building that sat there, a monument. But I pray that God would open your eyes to see something so much more beautiful. We're not anti-buildings. Buildings are wonderful. It's good to not be rained on today, right? Buildings are fine. But the church is really a movement, something so much bigger. And I'm also praying for those of you who have been a part of this church family or any church family for a long time, that, that God would reinvigorate this vision for the local church, that we would see we are tied into a worldwide, global, spirit-filled mission that we are God's team uh, doing his work in the world and that he would sort of reinvigorate any lost passion that we have for the mission of God through his local church. And so if you found your way to Acts, uh, I'd encourage you, we're going to start in verse 1. And uh, to introduce the book of Acts, I'm just going to let verse 1 do that. I think the author introduces the book well. Uh, so before I get into the sermon proper, let me introduce the book of Acts, okay? We start in chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Okay, so real quick, this is a real book written by a real human author. His name was Luke. Uh, what we know about Luke is he was a medical doctor, likely the travel companion of the Apostle Paul. Um, we know it says that in the first book, O Theophilus, so this is not his first book, he wrote another book called The Gospel of Luke, okay? So he wrote a book detailing the life, death, burial, teaching, resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That's known as the gospel. Well, this is the sequel to his prequel, the book of Acts. He writes this letter to a man named Theophilus, uh, of whom we don't know that much about. It's the only time we see his name. 
Uh, we know he must have been a companion to Luke in some way. He um, likely uh, was the underwriter to his writing project. Luke's writing, writing project, we don't know for sure. But here's what is of particular interest in verse 1. I want you to look at verse 1 again. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That is to say that if the gospel, if his first book, where he records the life, death, teaching, burial, resurrection of Jesus, only records what Jesus began to say and do, you know what that means? He wasn't done saying and doing. Jesus ain't done doing. That's why for Christians, Easter is such a big, monumental, big deal for us is because it's when we celebrate that Jesus isn't done doing, that we don't worship a dead teacher or a dead savior, but a living, resurrected king who is still alive and still powerfully at work in the world through his people. One of my favorite people uh, in church, you're not supposed to have favorite people in church, but it is, is John Wakefield right, right here. Many of you guys will recognize him. He always greets us at the door, high five, hug your kids. Now he's blushing. But every, every time as we depart, one of his taglines is, all right, buddy, keep on keeping on, partner. That is to say, keep at it, man. Keep the faith, keep going. Well, what Luke is saying in verse one essentially is that Jesus is still keeping on keeping on. Okay, Jesus didn't stay in history. He didn't stay in the Bible. Jesus is keeping on, keeping on. He is still at work in the world. And what we're gonna see in our 11 verses this morning um, is this. Jesus is keeping on, keeping on, and we're gonna see the power, the means, the scope, and the duration of Jesus's continuing work. So if you go home with nothing else today, I want you to remember this one big idea that Jesus's work continues. So here we go. Jesus's work continues. The first thing we're going to see in our text is that Jesus's work continues, one, by the power of his Holy Spirit. That's the power by which he's keeping on, keeping on. Let me show you. Look at the first five verses. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay, so here's what we learn. At this point, Jesus has been alive in a resurrected body for 40 days. He's appeared uh, to multiple witnesses. Other scripture says literally hundreds of people have witnessed the resurrected Lord Jesus. He's about to ascend uh, to be with the Father in heaven. And uh, he's just about to commission his disciples into the world to turn it upside down. He's just about, you know, a couple sentences later, ready to inaugurate his work in the world through his people in his very first instruction for his missionary team, his A team, his number one son, as his rider dies, the people that are going to change the world, his first imperative in the book is the word wait. Don't do anything. Hunker down, sit still. He says, wait, because days from now you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. This is so important. Remember Remember back in our series, if you were with us in the book of uh, Matthew, that, that these were not um, exactly the most courageous men at this moment in history, right? The apostle Peter had denied Jesus three times to a teenage girl during his trial. Do you remember that? 
The rest of the apostles have abandoned Jesus. They are now hiding back in the upper room. They've seen their leader die, and they're now cowardly hiding, hoping that they don't suffer the same fate. So Jesus knows you're going to need a little help before you go out and change the world in my name, okay? You're not in a position to do this on your own. He says, wait for the Holy Spirit. And here's why this is so important. If you skip down to verse 8, Jesus says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That word for power is the word dynamis, where we get our word what? Dynamite, dynamic, powerful. It means big, booming. If Jesus ascended to heaven, how on earth is he keeping on, keeping on? By the power of his Holy Spirit. Now, for those of you um, who are new to the Christian faith, let me unpack what we mean by the Holy Spirit. Who is this one? Some people get nervous. The Holy Spirit, is that like the crazy uncle of the Trinity? You know, he makes me nervous. Let's stick with the Father and the Son. No, 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 no. We believe in a triune God, okay? That is to say there is one God who exists in three persons, okay? So there is one what and three who's. You with me? Confused yet? Me too, but it's true, okay? One what, three who's, one God who exists eternally, Father, Son, and Spirit. And Father, Son, and Spirit all work in unity. They defer and deflect glory and honor to one another in this vibrant, beautiful community that becomes a model for how we are to relate to one another. And in God's work in the world, each of the persons of the Trinity has a unique role that complements the other. So our Father In heaven, the Father sent his Son. The Son came into the world to live, die, and rise, to work out our atonement that we might be adopted into the family of God. He then goes back to the Father and sends who? The Holy Spirit. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to live inside of us. He is to give us his power and his presence to accomplish his purposes in us and through us. And so let me say this, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have been given the Holy Spirit. God's presence and God's power now resides inside of you, and through you, his work continues in the world. Now, in just a moment, our second point, I want to talk about what does that look like for us individually as Christians, but for now, I want to keep keep the, the camera lens zoomed in on the Holy Spirit. Why is this such a big deal that Jesus' work continues in the world by the power of his Holy Spirit? Well, here's what's really important for us to understand as a church family. We need to remember that Jesus doesn't build his church through gimmicks, through cleverness, or through programs. Jesus doesn't build his church through marketing strategies or sexy sermon series. Jesus Christ builds his church in the world by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen? And so if there's one bit of application that I could press in from Jesus working the world through the power of his Holy Spirit, it would be this. City Light, would we ever be a prayerful, humble, dependent people? Jesus doesn't use our hype. He uses what? His Holy Spirit. And so by God's grace, if I could just say this, we have seen Jesus do a great work in our generation um, in six years, we, City Light has grown from a little congregation in Jack and Linda Aaron's living room, um, from a handful of people crying out to the Spirit to move mightily, to now seven churches spread out over four cities. About 6,000 people plus will gather in a City Light church this morning to worship Jesus. Nearly 1,000 new Christians have met Jesus, trusted Jesus, and been baptized. And we are currently training up more church planters and laborers for the next wave of church planting. But here's the deal. If we ever get proud, we ever get self-reliant, if we start to depend on best practices or proven prototypes rather than the Holy Spirit, the movement that we've gotten to witness will soon become a monument of where God once was. 
The buildings may persist into the future. The programs may ride for a while. Uh, We may be able to keep people on payroll until the money dries up. But as soon as we get proud and don't depend on the Holy Spirit, the movement is gone. We are now a monument to where God once was. But let me say this. The Spirit delights to to move mightily through humble, prayerful, dependent people. Jesus says in Luke, fear not, little flock. It's my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So we know God loves to work in the world. He wants to reach Omaha. He wants to reach our kids and grandkids. He wants to reach the nations more than we do. And he delights to use humble, prayerful, dependent people because Jesus loves to work and flex his muscles through the weak and through the ordinary and through the unlikely. Amen? So Jesus is keeping on, keeping on. Number one, how? By the power of his Holy Spirit. That's the power. Number two, I want to show you the means. The means by which he is working in the world is through his people. That's the means. The power is his Holy Spirit, but the means is the people. Look at verse six. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So let me pause real quick. I think the apostles are still a little confused about Jesus's mission in the world. I think they're still thinking geopolitical, nation state, Israel. God, are you gonna overthrow our our oppressors and make us dominant in the world one more time? But Jesus is gonna remind him, listen, it's, it's not about geopolitical Israel. It's about one mission for all of God's people. You're thinking too small. Uh, Verse seven, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. What I want you to see here is that the power of Jesus' work in the world is his spirit, but the means of his work in the world are his people. Let me say it this way. God's power comes from God's spirit, and he comes through God's people, okay? So the spirit of God is the power outlet, but you're the lamb, okay? So the spirit of God is the motor, but you're the boat. So the the power is absolutely the Holy Spirit, but, but he doesn't work around his people. He works through them, right? Listen, God is God. God can do his work in the world however he wants. He could send angels. He could um, send what's called theophanies. He could appear himself and do his work. But the normative way he works in the world, the means by which he chooses to work in the world, is not around his people, but through his people. Through his apostles and through you and through me, we are his witnesses. So God doesn't work in the world through his holy, or by the power of his Holy Spirit, but through you and me. Now we need to ask, What does that look like, okay? If we are spirit-empowered witnesses for Jesus, what should that look like in our lives? Well, I think to answer that question, we shouldn't just speculate. Let's zoom out in the book of Acts, because in the very next chapter, the Holy Spirit does come, and then we've got 26 more chapters that detail spirit-empowered witness in the world. What does it look like? Well, we see at least two components that I want to point out. Number one, there is an individual component, okay? As individual Christians are filled with the Spirit of God, they do have an individual witness. We see this, uh, for example, in the very next chapter, the Spirit of God comes and the Apostle Peter preaches an amazing sermon. This is, this is, this is the guy whose nickname was not 
Captain Courage, okay? This is Captain Coward hiding, denying Jesus before the Spirit. Spirit comes. Now he is Captain Courage. He had been hiding from the Jews. Now he's preaching to the Jews who had just killed Jesus, a bold declaration of who uh, Jesus is. And it says that more than 3,000 came to faith in Jesus that morning. So uh, we thought city light grew fast. Oh, no, 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 3,000 in one moment. You talk about assimilation processes, right? You talk about lines at the baptismal pool. The Spirit comes, there's a vibrant individual witness. And so I, I want you to see that God does empower us individually. He used the apostles as literal eyewitnesses personally, and he uses us individually as faith witnesses. I just want to press in. That's why it's so important to learn how to share your story plainly, to be able to say, listen, there was a time in my life I didn't know Jesus. I was dead in my sin. I was lost in the world. It did not satisfy me, but Jesus, but Jesus intersected my life, but Jesus saved me, but Jesus gave me a new identity. And listen, your witness, no matter how extreme or simple it may sound, whether you met Jesus in an Awana's club at age four, or you were selling meth to the whole world on shipping containers, It's a radical witness for the Lord Jesus. Your personal testimony is as powerful, no more powerful than any apologetic argument of a PhD if it's to the people around you. This is who Jesus is, and this is what he has done in me. So the Spirit does empower an individual witness, okay? But number two, what we see even more clearly in the book of Acts is that when the Spirit comes and empowers witness, there is a corporate witness, When the Spirit comes and the apostles apply this commission to be their witnesses, the thing they do is plant, build, and multiply churches. You could say the book of Acts is a book of church planting. That's how the apostles applied this commission. In fact, that's evident over the rest of the New Testament. The Spirit of God comes, churches are planted, and in the vast majority, there's someone's business card, uh, the vast majority of the rest of the New Testament are letters written to these new church plants. And so, listen, if you were to, to erase church planting from the Bible, you would essentially take away all of the New Testament past the Gospels, okay? Spirit empowered witness looks a lot like church planting and church multiplication. And so I just want to say that's, that's very practically when we were planning this first City Light Church and, and we asked the question, God, we don't want to just create noise and gather crowds. We want to be a spirit-filled witness for you. What will be our primary lead foot? What will be our primary means forward? It's not going to be evangelistic rallies and programmatic outreaches. Those are fine, but our lead foot is going to be the multiplication of gospel-centered Bible teaching churches to be a vibrant witness for you for generation. So the Spirit empowers us to be witnesses individually, and he plants new churches to be witnesses collectively. And I want to take a, a moment and just pause there and celebrate. It has been a fun couple of weeks for us as a church family. And so uh, many of you know, about two years ago, we got to send uh, some of our uh, staff leaders, interns, pastors, lay people down to Lincoln to plant City Light Lincoln. And uh, we had planted, I don't know, three churches before that that were more local, you know, Council Bluffs, Benson, wherein we could send 200 people or a good core team. This was, Lincoln was the first real scary one because it felt like a parachute drop. 200 people weren't moving to Lincoln, you know. So we're praying, Spirit of God move, help these young leaders. Uh, Would you fill this church with your witness? And by God's grace, um, they've done amazing. They have over a thousand people on Sunday mornings. Uh, They gather in two different locations already. They have more than 300 people in their college ministry. Thank you. 
Someone's a spirit-filled Christian this morning. And so you just see God has answered all of our prayers. But what I, the reason I bring up Lincoln is that this last week, they announced that they are planting their first daughter church. That's where the magic is, you guys. That's where multiplication happens. When young leaders are being trained up and sent out that we've never invested in, we've never even met them, and they're going forward in a whole new region um, of our area is going to be impacted with the gospel of Jesus Christ because the witness, the spirit-empowered witness is going forth, and uh, I'm praying that, that that congregation will reach generations that aren't even born yet. Amazing, right? So the Spirit of God moves forward individually and collectively. By the way, this morning as I preach here, Roy Hellu Jr. is preaching at the Midtown location. He's being trained up right now to plant another church in the Bennington area in a couple of years. And so we just believe our best lead foot forward is training up, sending out church planters because the power of Jesus in the world is his Spirit, but the means through which he uses is people, both individually and corporately. Um, let's look at our third um, point this morning. We see that Jesus is keeping on, keeping on. His work continues in the world by the power of his Holy Spirit. Number two, through the means of his people. Number three is this. Jesus's work continues on in the world through point number three, to the ends of the earth. That is the scope of his mission. How far does this mission go out? What are the boundary lines of God's God's mission? Look again at verse eight. He says, but you'll receive power, dynamos, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You are the means through which he uses, and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is keeping on, keeping on, and the place where he's doing it is everywhere. Jesus' mission is a worldwide mission. And so his commission for the apostles is geographically oriented, starting close and moving out of concentric circles outward into the world. So he says, start in Jerusalem, start right where you're at. Then move into Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And as we study the book of Acts this spring and summer, we're going to see that this verse actually serves as a sort of table of contents. It's a preview of what we're about to see. Acts chapters 1 through 7, the gospel is going forth in Jerusalem. Verses, or chapter 7 through 11, it goes out into Judea and Samaria, and then 11 until the end, we see it going all the way to Rome to the ends of the known earth at that point in time. So it starts small, and it goes big, and it really crosses two lines, two boundaries. Number one, it is crossing ethnic boundaries. Starting, or since the beginning of the Old Testament, God's plan had always been to bring people from every tribe, nation, and tongue to himself, but he started with the people of Israel. The children of Abraham. He started with the nation of, Ju- uh, of, uh, or, uh, nation of Israel to be his special people in the Old Testament. But now we're seeing his plan come to fruition that it wasn't just about the Jews. His salvation was for all the nations. And now that his spirit is being poured out, we see ethnic lines being crossed. Not just Jews, but Gentiles, people of every race, every tradition, every nation going out. The epistles have a lot to talk about this. It says that the boundaries lines that once divided us have been erased, okay? There is one boundary line, Jesus. You got Jesus or no Jesus? That's the in and out. Don't care where you're from, don't care your race, your ethnicity, your background, doesn't matter. The boundary line is now Jesus. Do you know, love, and trust him? So ethnicities are being crossed. Number two, geographical lines are being crossed. In other words, Jesus doesn't just have them drop anchor in Jerusalem. Just stay where you're at and wait for the nations to come to you. No, he says literally cross boundary lines, like go to other countries, like move your feet, move your body, go out to other nations in this pattern, starting here and going there. 
And I want you to know that Jesus still sends his people out in this pattern. It's still the way that it works. For God's people, we start wearing our home base. We care about our neighbor next door. We care about the people that actually live in our city. We want the people in our family, in our neighborhoods to know the Lord Jesus. And so we care and live on mission here, but we also care and live on mission among the nations. It's both here and it's there. It's our neighbors and it's the nations. So let me say it plainly. Jesus loves your next door neighbor and he has made you his witness to them. Okay? Additionally, Jesus loves that person across town that doesn't look, talk, vote, think, or act like you do, and he has made you his witness to them. Additionally, Jesus loves the some 2.2 billion people overseas and in different nations that have zero access to the gospel right now, and he has made you his witnesses to them, okay? What this means is that the mission of God is not to distance ourselves from people who think differently than us, and insulate ourselves is to move forward and to engage those who think and believe differently than us. Amen? The gospel means to go out, to engage culture, to engage our next door neighbor, the, um, um, the people across town, across races, and across the nations of the world. And I would say this, you might say, well, how can I be a witness here and there? Well, God uses us collectively as a church family. We know that to be true. But I know that as a church family and individuals, we can engage in God's mission in both places. We can invest money. We can invest prayers. We can actually care about God's work in the world and stay informed. And I believe that every Christian should at least ask, Jesus, if I'm your witness and your mission field is a worldwide mission field, am I to be primarily a witness here or there? We should at least ask, amen? We shouldn't just assume, well, it's clearly here because why? Well, I don't know, it just is. Well, is it? I don't know. A lot of gospel access here, not a lot of gospel access there. Seems like a prudent thing to at least ask Jesus, Jesus, where do you want me? If it's here, wonderful. I will serve you with my whole life. If it's over there, Jesus, my life belongs to you. And so we would stay local and we would go global, but we would let Jesus make that decision for us. Uh, Very practically, next month, we're going to have a global missions week here at the church. You're going to hear from some of our missionary partners all over the world. You're going to hear some practical opportunities that you can engage with God's work overseas, uh, both short-term and long-term in strategic ways as we as a young church family try to figure out how we are going to engage the nations. And I would just say this uh, real quick as a young church. What would it look like if we were known around the world, not only for sending church planners here, but actually being a vibrant sending pool for laborers overseas? What if we actually had a vision for sending our best and our brightest and our most strategic labors for the gospel, not just locally or regionally, but among the nations? What if there's actual tribes and nations and people groups who have never heard about Jesus And yet the gospel is going to come into their community. Why? Because a little church in flyover Omaha, Nebraska, had a passion for the gospel, was empowered by his Holy Spirit, took radical steps of faith to build not our kingdom, but his kingdom among the nations. Amen? Amen. And so Jesus, I'm about to preach. Someone's going to the nations next month, okay? It might be you. Careful what you pray for. And so Jesus is at work both here and there. He's at work how? By the power of his Holy Spirit. Through whom? Through his people. Where? All over the world. Here's the last one. What about the duration? When does this mission wrap up? When is his keeping on keeping on in the world done? Well, number four, it's done uh, when he returns. The duration of his work in the world is until he returns. Here's where we see it, verse nine. It says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. That's the ascension. And a cloud took him out of their sight. 
And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, presumably angels, and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I love the, the angels' questions for the apostles here. Um, and by the way, I don't want to rag on the apostles because I don't know if you guys have ever seen a bodily ascension of a human being. I have not, but if I watched a literal physical human ascend into heaven, I too might stand there and just gaze with my jaw dropped, amen? And so they're reacting rather naturally, rather predictably, but then the angels come and say, why are you just standing there gazing into heaven? As if to say, Listen, Jesus gave you a commission. He gave you your orders. Get to Jerusalem, wait for the Spirit of God, and then get to work in the world. And I wonder how many Christians in our world today, I wonder how many of us in this very room don't have the same disposition, the same posture as those early apostles. Just gaze into heaven. Jesus, thank you for saving me. I'm so glad I don't have to pay the penalty for my sins. You did that. Now I'll just eat some Chick-fil-A and go to church and work a job and wait till you come back for me. <laughs> Jesus, you coming back anytime soon? I'm just going to binge watch some Netflix, really dial in my golf game and wait till you come back. And I wonder what the angels would say to us if they came even in this moment. What are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you just staring into heaven, eating Chick-fil-A, waiting for Jesus? Get to work in the world. 2.2 billion people don't even have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let alone your neighbor doesn't have a clue. Why are you gazing into heaven? The mission will come to an end. When? When he comes back, when he ushers in his kingdom. Until then, Jesus is at work in the world, but he's at work through his people to the ends of the earth. And he's doing it until he returns. Let me end with this. I, I would say this. It's going to be an exciting spring and summer as we study this book of Acts. As I said, one of my absolute favorite books in the New Bible. It's filled with drama and excitement and hardship and challenge and amazing fruitfulness for the gospel. But I want to invite you to engage this ancient book, not just as a spectator, but as an actual player in the game. Acts actually covers about 30 years, over 28 chapters. But the, the chapters that we read are just the beginning of the story. And the gospel baton that, that we read about that is going forward rapidly has been handed down through generations. And guess what? It's been handed to us. Those that have gone before us have been faithful to make disciples, to plant churches, to move the witness of Jesus forward in the world. And that gospel baton is now handed to us. And I don't want to pass on to my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids, my great-great-grandkids that I may never meet a monument of what Jesus once did. Oh yeah, Jesus once was alive in Omaha. There's a bunch of old buildings that are there. They're all apartments now. No, I want to hand forward a movement of people that are sold out for Jesus, empowered by his Holy Spirit, and leveraging our lives and our resources for the mission of God. The churches would be planted, the disciples would be made. And I want you to see that this isn't a, a hard-handed ploy for us to be more radical. No, it's the gracious invitation of our God to live our lives for something that actually matters. Okay? The gospel of Jesus is not just that he came and lived a life that you ought to but couldn't, died the death that you should, and rose to give you victorious life in eternity. It is that. Don't get me wrong. It's all of that. But it also includes an invitation to now live your life for something that actually matters. Okay, It's an invitation to, to labor on this side of rest so that we could enjoy our rest on that side of labor, knowing that we have pushed the kingdom of God forward. 
It's an invitation to die to petty hobbies and lives that, that, are, that are chasing wrong goals and wrong ambitions that we think are going to satisfy us. It, it's salvation from climbing a ladder. We get to the top and we're exhausted at the end of our lives. We realize, oh, I climbed the wrong ladder. This didn't get me anywhere. It's the invitation to live our lives for the glory of God and engage in his mission to the ends of the earth. And so it's not a burden to be sent by Jesus. It's an incredible invitation to live your life for something that truly matters. It's my greatest joy to to labor for Jesus. And it's our greatest joy as a church family to exist for the mission of God, to leverage all we have to multiply disciples and churches. And so friends, Jesus is keeping on, keeping on in the world. And by his grace, he has invited us to join him. Let's pray. Jesus, it's so fun to look back at this moment and just remember how this whole thing got started. Why are we sitting in a room this morning? Why are we singing songs with Willie, whose hair looks so good today, with all of our moms on Mother's Day? Why did we carve out some time to worship Jesus? Because some 2,000 years ago, your spirit came into the world, your mission went forward, and a bunch of random people on the other side of the planet have now received the good news of the gospel because your spirit empowered your people to bring the gospel to us. And now, God, oh, we want to be faithful in our generation to pass it on to the next, that they would know King Jesus, the joy of his salvation, and the abundant life that comes from knowing and walking with you. And so, God, use us as a church family in this mighty way. God, I want to especially pray for the moms in the room this morning. Sometimes their labor for the gospel is underappreciated, undervalued. Sometimes it goes unseen. Think of my own dear wife, a mother of small children, uh, making disciples sometimes looks like spilling up a lot of milk spills and uh, uh, bandaging up scraped knees and loving those kids and showing them the love of Jesus in tangible ways. And whether there's young moms, old moms, soon-to-be moms, moms that long to be moms, God, I pray that you would especially um, show them your favor and your grace and your good pleasure toward them on this day as they engage your mission in their way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.